Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for a new day of life. We are grateful that you have given us the opportunity of gathering together in this location early in the morning to study your word. I ask, Father, for the gift of your spirit this morning. You promised two or three are gathered together. You would send the spirit in your, and to bring your presence. And we claim that promise this morning, thanking you, and that the word spoken cannot fail if we but believe. And we thank you and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. We are here, but we are scattered throughout. I'm wondering if those in the back could come forward just so... uh, I, I still need to use the mic for the tape, I guess, but uh, just so we're a little bit close together. Well, what have we been discussing together in our time this week? How to be a what? Servant of God. And today... At first glance, at least when we first go through this story, you may not perceive how this has anything to do with being a servant, at least directly. And so I ask that you wait and see, because we're going to be looking at one of my favorite Bible characters, which I believe, as you will see from the Bible, illustrates clearly what a servant needs to be, particularly at the end of time right before Jesus comes. So what am I talking about? Any guesses? My favorite Bible character is none other than the character Daniel. And we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 6, which is a familiar Bible story. Maybe you've heard it as a bedtime story. But I believe there's something far more significant to the story of Daniel and the lion's den than simply the fact of it being a nice story to teach children good morals and to put them to sleep. The book of Daniel is divided in half. You can divide it in half. The first six chapters are primarily stories, and the second half, or the last six chapters, are primarily prophecies. And the book of Daniel, as we know, is a book dealing with judgment and the end of time. And the last six chapters of Daniel, I believe, using the prophetic symbols and signs, shows us the who and the when and the how of the final events and of God's judgment at the end. It gives us the mechanics. It gives us the, the, the framework, if you will. But what about the first six chapters? The first six chapters of historical narratives that's what the theologians and professionals call it but they're just stories what do those stories have to do with these end time prophecies that we find in chapter 7 through 12 well i'll tell you what i think the last six chapters of daniel gives us an idea of what will take place how it will take place, and who will be the primary characters at the end. 
But the first six chapters give us in living demonstration in the biography of the life of Daniel and his friends a snippet or to use another theological term, a type, a representation of what will take place again at the end of time. I believe the stories in chapters 1 through 6, not only do they have good moral value, not only are they good for teaching children good stories before they go to bed, but they also give us important details about how we ought to live as we pass through the events and the times are outlined in the last six chapters. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 6. How does this chapter, Daniel chapter 6, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, how does this project itself into the future? How does this story show us how we ought to live right now, which I believe is the end of time? Let's turn our Bibles to Daniel chapter 6 together. And we will begin reading in verse 1. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel chapter 6 starts out, to me, in a very interesting fashion. The reason being is that Daniel chapter 5 previously is the story of the fall of the nation of Babylon. And Daniel was already elevated to be one of the chief leaders in the nation of Babylon. But we read in Daniel chapter 6 that in the new kingdom, the kingdom of Medo-Persia under the reign of King Darius, Daniel is transferred to being the second in command of a new conquering nation. Now imagine with me, if you were the vice president of the United States of America, And someone came and took over you, your nation, the United States. This is fictional. A new world superpower overcoming or overtaking this nation. How likely would it be for you to continue in the new government as a second in command? Not very likely. Now, not only did Daniel transfer his position from one kingdom to the next, he originally came as a captive from the nation of Judah. So there's something we can learn from Daniel right here. There is something about Daniel that even when his enemies take over his kingdom, they still want him on their side. There's something innately so attractive, so noble, so beneficial that Daniel would be to this nation that King Darius himself not only employed him in his service in a low position, just in a a worker position, he left him second in command, which was actually a higher position than what he had in Babylon to begin with. Why is it that Daniel was so beloved? Why was he so trusted that he was placed in the second-in-command position, even in a conquering nation? Well, the Bible tells us. Verse 3. 
Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because the Bible says an excellent spirit was found in him. An excellent spirit. The spirit of excellence. I often wonder what does it mean to be excellent? But I believe Daniel gives us the illustration. Gives us the picture of excellence. Daniel was marked by excellence in all aspects of his life. From the very beginning in Daniel chapter 1, we see Daniel, he was excellent in the area of his health and his diet. He would not compromise for even one meal. He would go and he would ask for permission to be tested that he may be proved. And as a result, he continued to be faithful in his studies after three years in the Babylonian university. He became ten times wiser than all the wise men of Babylon. That includes his teachers. In just three years, he was excellent. In his social relationships, we are told that he was brought into tender favor and regard with the prince of the eunuchs. Socially, he was excellent. He was able to relate with people in a way that was winning, winsome, caring. So they would trust him. In Daniel chapter 2, when the king sent the command to kill all of the wise men, Arioch, the captain of the guard, comes to Daniel. And instead of just killing Daniel right there on the spot, Daniel was, was said to respond with wisdom and counsel. And I just imagine Daniel, he opens the door, oh, hi, Arioch, how are you? And Arioch saying, you know, Daniel, I don't know, the king wants me to do this. Daniel's, oh, what's wrong? Come in, sit down, talk to me about it. And what's the result? All the wise men were saved, and King Arioch didn't have to do his dreadful duty. But look, a hardened soldier was willing to sit down and share his, his difficulties with this slave, Daniel. Daniel's life was marked by excellence. In his physical life, his health, excellent. In his academic life, excellent. In his social relationships, excellent. He was marked by excellence in his political career. In everything that he did, in the small details of life, he was excellent. And as a result... King Darius saw this man. He understood that in his life of integrity, of his faithfulness in the little things, he could place him in the second in command position. Daniel was worthy of his trust, even though he was, quote unquote, the enemy. Daniel represents to us what I believe we need to be particularly at the end of time. We continue the story. Daniel, in verse 4, then the, uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find none occasion nor fault, for as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now Daniel was in a very elevated position in the nation. And sometimes we may catch ourselves feeling as though, or almost coveting, 
the higher positions that we see people possess or hold ahead of us. Sometimes we see our friends who are in student government positions. Or we see friends who have privileges or responsibilities that we somehow, inside, there's this feeling like, I wish I could have those responsibilities. But really, looking at Daniel, is it such an envious thing to be in a high position? I mean, Daniel was faithful, sure. He probably had a fairly comfortable life, okay. He made a decent living, fine. But all of his colleagues wanted to kill him because of his faithfulness, because of his integrity, and because of their jealousy of his position. And just think of the decisions that Daniel had to make, understanding that his enemies are those that he's working with. Knowing that the people closest around him are those who want to get him the most. Personally speaking, I'm glad I'm not in that position. I'm glad that my life is simpler than that. And that I can serve the Lord in my sphere of influence now without the pressure of someone trying to kill me at every step. Being a servant of God is simply being willing to go where God wants us to go. To submit our will to Him. To do whatever He asks us to do. If it be in the lowest position. Or if it be in the highest position. The spirit of the servant is being willing to do our best no matter what it is that the Lord places before us. Not simply striving to get the highest position or the most responsibility. But Daniel's colleagues looked at Daniel. They said, we really don't like this guy. We want to get him out. He's taking our position. He's telling us what to do. And he's not even one of us. He's from Judah. He's a slave. But this testimony of Daniel, I always find very impressive. You understand who the enemies are that are trying to trip Daniel up. These are not just common thugs on the street, not the gangs that don't have much of an education. We're talking about the highest government officials. We're talking about the most powerful men in the nation. And these men, when they wanted to get Daniel, they could look at all of his credit card history, all of the records of his financial transactions. They could check his investments. They can check all of his report cards through school. They can check how he uses his telephone, his cell phone. They can trace his calls. They follow the traces of all of his emails. They could track his IP address and see all of the websites he's been on. They could see all of his traffic violations, how many times he's broken the speed limit. They could see Daniel in every nitty-gritty, nitpicky aspect of his life. And what's the only thing they could say about Daniel? We can find no fault in him. There is nothing wrong with this man. He never even cheated on a test. Never even typed one terrible email, never served one unseemly website. This guy is faultless. And this is, again, not his friends testifying this about him. It's not his pastor writing a reference for him to go to college. This is the enemies who want to find every 
everything they can, anything they can, to kill this guy. And the only thing they could say is there's no fault in him. Daniel, what is, who is this guy? Is it possible for any human being to live a life like that? So what's the only way that these men could think of to get Daniel? We read verse 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Now let me pause it for a moment. These men, they recognized something about Daniel. Something predictable about him. And that was his faithfulness to God. They recognized that Daniel would rather die than sin. Daniel would never transgress his Lord, even if it meant his life, his position, his wealth, everything going down the drain. And they could bank on that. And so they went to the king. Verse 7, all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, say... Excuse me. And whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Notice the list of people that are listed in verse 7. All the presidents, governors, princes, counselors, captains... If I could just put it this way, it wasn't just the political leaders, it was economic leaders, the military leaders, the educational and thought leaders of the society. They were all gathering together to try to get this faithful, may I say, Christian out of there. And are we told in the Bible that at the end of time there is going to be also a unification of various powers for the purpose of destroying God's people? And they're going to do it using a political law, a religious political law, a law targeting religious activities. I'll let you think about that. We're not going to focus on the eschatological significance of the story in that aspect, but more the practical aspect of how we can survive, how we can thrive in that crisis that will be coming upon each one of us. So Daniel is faced with the test. Will he for 30 days worship none other than the king? Or will he continue his life of faithful integrity to God? Verse 10, I believe, is the theme or the main verse from this whole chapter. Verse 10, Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. And his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. The decree was now signed. And the law of the Medes and Persians is characterized by it can't be changed. It's a unique characteristic of the law of the Medes and Persians. Even the king himself cannot change the law. And Daniel understood that. Knowing that his life was now at stake, 
The die has been cast. His friends were now hot on his trail, ready to cast him to the lions. Now, Daniel goes back to his house. He opens his window. And he prays towards Jerusalem three times a day. And you know, more significantly, the Bible says he prayed and gave thanks. Now, how often do we give thanks when our life is on the line? When our best friends are betraying us? When the people around us are trying to trip us, hurt us, kill us? Daniel had something with his relationship with God that I want. He lived his life in such a way that he could give thanks at the very greatest crisis that he's facing. But I believe the key is the last few verses of this text. It says, as he did aforetime. Which tells me this is what he's always done. So in other words, Daniel, he heard the signing of the decree. He knew what was at stake. And he goes home and he just does what he's always done. He opens his window. He prays three times a day to God. Giving thanks for all of the blessings, all of the opportunities God has given him to be a witness and a blessing to others. But Daniel did not do something, which we often do when we face a crisis. Haven't you ever had the experience we face a difficulty in life, and all of a sudden, we feel like praying? And we feel feel like we can pray all night. We can just weep and with all the passion that we can muster from the depths of our soul, we cry, Lord, save me, help me, I'm in trouble. And we pray and we pray and we pray, but when things are happy, when things are nice and smooth sailing, we sort of forget about God. Our devotional life, our prayer life sort of takes the back seat. No longer are we so fervent. No longer are we spending so much time in prayer and study of God's word anymore. But Daniel's daily, regular, devotional experience with God to him was enough to get him through the crisis that he was facing. It was enough for Daniel just to continue his regular devotional experience day by day when he was faced with the greatest crisis of his life. Daniel did not feel the need of making up, of cramming before the great test. He had made preparation step by step, day by day, moment by moment. And when the test was come, he could simply rest in peace knowing his life And his experience is secure in the Lord. Daniel lived a life of faithful integrity moment by moment, day by day. His prayer did not increase when the crisis came. The topics of his prayer might have changed. But he continued to pray just faithfully as he would have done any other day of his life. How is our devotional experience? How is our prayer life with God? Is it such that we could make it through the great crisis that is coming if we just simply continued our daily devotional experience? Or is it something that we feel like we're going to have to cram if it's not enough for that time? Verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man should ask a petition of thee? 
O king. And they continue, you signed the decree, you wanted this, you made, you signed a decree and the law can't be changed, but you remember that guy, Daniel. That captive Daniel, the slave, not that president that you trusted so much. That guy, he's not listening to you. He prays three times a day to his God. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Verse 15. Then these men assembled unto the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute with the king established may be changed. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. So Daniel... Or Daniel could not be saved by King Darius, even though King Darius worked all day. He worked overtime trying to save his best man. But nonetheless, he was trapped by his own law. And he said, Daniel, bring him here. We're going to cast him into the den of lions. But in the verse 16, I find the remarkable words of encouragement that are spoken to Daniel. And mind you, you have to recognize who's speaking here. It's not the angel Gabriel sent from the presence of God encouraging Daniel. It's not Daniel's, one of his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, putting his arm around Daniel saying, Look, now your God is going to deliver you. It's not a faithful prophet that's journeying all the way from Jerusalem saying, Daniel, I have been sent by the Lord to encourage you. Who is speaking to Daniel here? This is none other than the pagan king Darius himself. And what does he say? Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. This is the pagan king. He doesn't even believe in the God of Israel. And he is encouraging Daniel that his God will deliver him. Now, I have to think about my own life. Will my enemies, those who do not know God, the Buddhist friends that I have, the Muslim friends that I have, the atheist friends that I have, through my life testimony, they can see God working in and through my life in such a degree that when crisis comes and they are bound helpless to help me, that they must testify, we have seen some supernatural power working in your life, through your faithfulness, that all we can say is that somehow your God, whom you serve, He will help you. How is our life? What testimony do we give even to those who do not believe in God? Daniel's faithfulness in the little things, the spirit of excellence, The little details of his life, the faultlessness of all of his actions testified to King Darius. And through King Darius' witnessing of Daniel's life, his experience, and the way God has blessed, he began to have to exercise faith in God himself. The king of Medo-Persia. Verse 17, And a stone was brought 
and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So the king put his seal on the on the Daniel's tomb, so to say, which means it's not to be changed. It's closed. You can't break that seal. You can't open it. Then verse 18, Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Here we see why I choose to consider Daniel an example, a picture of what people need to be as servants of God at the end of time. King Darius himself comes back to the den, even though he signed the law, even though he put the stone over the mouth of the tomb, even though he sealed it, representing this is a done deal. In his heart, faith was awakened. Something in him generous, really genuinely believed that Daniel was alive. And he came back and he cried out and he attributes to Daniel that term, that title that we are discussing this weekend. Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel chapter 6, 21. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and have shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner was hurt, no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones and pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. I want to notice just one thing about Daniel. And that is what he did not do through the entire course of this story. Even though I'm sure he was a smart guy, he was very sharp, he knew what was the plot against him. It was only the, only every single one of his colleagues working against him. Never once did he point the finger. Never once did he accuse anybody of a conspiracy or a plot against him. Even when the writing was signed, never once did he go to the king and explain, trying to defend himself, saying, Look, this is all a mistake. You got it all wrong. These guys, they da 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 da. Not once did he try to save himself. Not once did a scathing word come out of his mouth against those men that were trying to kill him. All Daniel worried about was his faithfulness to God. He didn't care what the king thought. He didn't care what his enemies thought. He didn't care what his colleagues thought. All he cared about was what God thought. And through his faithfulness in the little things of life, through its integrity, through his daily devotional experience, Daniel remained faithful, not sinning against God or man. And in the result, at the end, God took care of his enemies. 
God cast those bad men to the lions. Daniel didn't have to worry about that. Daniel's name means God is my judge. And Daniel lives the example. I'm not going to judge my fellow man. I'll leave God to do that. And as a result, King Darius writes a touching letter to all people in his kingdom. People, nations, languages. He says, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In the end, through his faithfulness, it looks as though King Darius, at least for a time, believed in God. We may think we have it hard. And we may feel as though everything turns against us. And there is no bright picture or no end to this dark tunnel. But yet at the end of Daniel's darkest hour, his greatest crisis, because of his faithfulness to God, because of his spirit of excellence, because of his integrity, in the end, he was able to testify to King Darius. So that he even developed faith in the living God. That is what it means to be a servant of God at the end of time. To be faithful in all aspects. So that we may not get the goodies. But so that we may glorify God in our bodies and in our life. Do you want to be a servant of God? Do you want to develop that same strength Internally, that Daniel had that same relationship with God. I want to have that. Why don't we kneel together as we pray? Father in heaven, we are amazed at the example of Daniel. As we see his steadfast faithfulness and integrity, we recognize our own weaknesses, our own shortcomings, and our own failings. But Lord, we realize that you are a God of grace and mercy. You can forgive us our past. And you can also work in us to do and to will of your good pleasure. And Lord, I ask that you will help each one of us to develop that same daily committed devotional experience with you. That we may be faithful as Daniel in our greatest crisis. And Lord, as we are rapidly coming to the end of time, we know that times will become harder and that the crisis is drawing nearer. Help us not to wait until the last minute to cram for the final test, but may we be preparing steadfastly day by day, moment by moment. Help us to live the faultless and excellent life like Daniel, that through our example those around us may only have to testify that our God lives that he is able to deliver us. Lord, may we have that faith-filled experience like Daniel. Grant it to us. This is our prayer, and we know we ask it according to thy will. And so we long to see how you will fulfill this prayer in our own lives.
Be with us the remainder of this day and this convention. May we continue to be blessed by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. American Cassette Ministries is pleased to provide you with this presentation from the 2006 ASI International Convention held in Grapevine, Texas. Thousands of laity and leadership gathered together for this 59th annual convention to provide challenge, nurture, and experience in sharing Christ in the marketplace. This is a digital recording for optimum sound quality. International Copyright 2006, American Cassette Ministries. For the largest selection of authentic, genuine Adventist preaching available, visit our secure website at www.americancassette.org. Our latest catalog is online, plus thousands of other selections to choose from. We accept MasterCard, Visa, and Discover credit cards. You will find there is no compromise here at ACM. We've been maintaining the integrity of the Three Angels' messages since 1975. We request your prayers and continued tax-deductible financial support for this 501c3 nonprofit ministry so that we can continue helping prepare you and your loved ones to meet Jesus Christ. He's coming soon.